0: It's our weekly baseball podcast with Kevin Gorman from Trib Live. He, of course, covers the Pittsburgh Pirates for us. Make sure you follow our weekly baseball podcast and all of our podcasts now on the Fans First Network. Don't just listen, download, and subscribe via Spotify, via Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you normally use. Kevin, not in Los Angeles tonight, but we'll be watching like the rest of us, as Shoei Otani pitches against the Pirates. It's gotten to this point, unfortunately, Kevin, again, where we're often at with baseball fans in Pittsburgh. It's as much about who the Pirates are playing to keep interest, but I think regardless of whether the Pirates were in first place, like in April, or last place, like they are now, Otani would be reason to stay up late and watch tonight on a Friday.
2: No question. I mean, this is the most exciting player in baseball, and... uh I think the the pitching aspect of him is underrated. You know, I, you, you go back to the World Baseball Classic where he got into that epic matchup um, for, for the final out getting his teammate Mike Trout swinging. You know, basically you had the best, you know, two of the best players in baseball and maybe in baseball history uh, facing each other, you know, for, for the World Baseball Championship on the line and, and Otani struck him out. But uh, yeah, this is this is one that, I think it's pretty important for the Pirates that they won that game Wednesday and did so with their offense, uh, because imagine them limping into a game, you know, a road trip like this and having to face Otani, you know, riding a six-game losing streak and having lost what it would have been, I think it would have been 13 or 15 at that point had they not done that.
0: There is some theory, Kevin, that you can get to Otani a little bit easier when he's at the plate on nights when he pitches in the sense that if you rough him up in the batter's box, he'll carry that himself over to the batter's box. But there was also that game, what, against the Yankees where he had two home runs and struck out 10 or something like that. I'm trying to remember who the opponent was. Maybe it wasn't the Yankees, but not too long ago, had one of those nights where he was electric uh, from both sides.
2: Yeah, and the shame is I don't get to watch him very often because I'm covering so much baseball. So I don't, I don't watch a ton of baseball in my downtime. Um, you know, because most of the time I'm, I'm watching the games at night, uh, at whoever the Pirates are playing. But yeah, that, that's certainly you know something I, I don't think people take into consideration the physical exertion that's involved in pitching and the mental and taxation
0: think, too, like the mental I exactly. carryover.
2: And I, I think I think you saw that a little bit uh, in Quinn Priester's debut on Monday night, and you just saw a guy out there sweating bullets, and um, it wasn't overly. You, you know, humid and hot that day. I mean, it was it was, it was warm weather, but you know, I, I think you saw a guy who cruised through the first three innings, and then the next three innings, you know, was was really sweating it out. And I can only imagine, you know, someone like Tawny having to do that and go to the plate and, and deliver at the plate the way that he has. I mean, he's on a on a pace right now that could be rivaling what uh, Aaron Judge did last year. And it's like, you know, Aaron Judge well, I, I think he was the MVP for that. And uh, you know, I know Otani's pitching on top of it, which makes it even more amazing.
0: Kevin Gorman with us covers the Pirates of the Trib. People are talking about the potential of Otani getting traded. I wonder if that's cooled now because they swept the Yankees. I don't know about you, Kevin. I think the Pirates should get him.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh it, it would be amazing, you know, given the Pirates' payroll. I, I was making an argument a few years ago that they could have signed. Uh, Manny Machado to a $30 million a year contract and still had a payroll that was at or slightly below $100 million. So, I mean, there is room for the Pirates, theoretically, to pay somebody, you know, exorbitant amount of money. But I I think it's pretty obvious that uh, that Otani is going to stay on the West Coast, even if he is traded to uh, a team on the East Coast this year. I think he's going to sign on the West Coast. So that's a really expensive rental, but... It will be interesting to see how the trade deadline comes out because I think there's going to be some big names being shoved. He'd obviously be the biggest of all, and and I would imagine, and he's the type of guy that even though they have not won with the Angels, having him and Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon and, I mean, and some other stars, um, that wherever he would go, if a contender would acquire him, I would imagine they would be considered the immediate favorite.
0: Speaking of being a two-way player, hitter and pitcher, I talked to Jay Johnson, the head coach of the LSU baseball team, ran a podcast this morning coming out from that conversation, and he really threw some cold water, I think, on the idea of Skeens ever being much of a hitter with the Pirates or even trying it. Not saying that the Pirates shouldn't do it. He just said what they did at LSU, and he thought part of the big reason why Skeens blossomed as much as he did in the SEC after coming over from Air Force was – they lighten the load on him by taking away the hitting option.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I saw Jay Johnson talk about that on the night of the draft, and he was talking about how, you know, not having to catch in between and not having to worry about hitting. Uh, that really did. And, and I think, you know, there's some misconceptions about schemes. You know, for one, I'm pretty sure Mitch Keller has thrown 123 innings over th- – 20 over 20 starts this season and paul Skeens had thrown 122 and two-thirds innings over 19 starts at lsu and so you start to compare that and say okay you know could he could he pitch this year and it's like this guy's already thrown a, a lot of innings mm-hmm. in, in college and he's but then he's been shut down for a month so it's going to take essentially a month to get him back to you know to pitching shape to be able to, to pitch at the level that he was uh you know you, you figure for as long as you're down that you need that much time back up uh, so you know it's, it's going to take a month or so for him to be you know so you wouldn't see him until september and then you'd be throwing a guy extra innings on top of that but imagine on top of all the, the pitching work that's going to go into it if he was out there hitting and, and catching in between games and so it kind of is it's, it's one of an amazing thing is that this guy one year uh as a sophomore at air force was the john Olrood winner for, as the, the best two-way player in baseball, in college baseball. And then the following year won, you know, the most outstanding player at the College World Series, led LSU to the uh, the College World Series championship and became the number one overall pick of the draft, which he's the first pitcher to ever do all three in one year. And, and I, I kind of agree, you know, just from afar, that with J, what Jay Johnson said is that, you know, concentrating on one allowed him to blossom. Uh, the thing that's ni- the nice fallback part of it is, that you know that if something happened to his arm, uh, where Paul Skeens, you know, could have a an injury, where you know you start to worry about is this guy ever going to be the pitcher we, we expected him to be? You know that there's a fallback that this guy can hit and that he can catch and that you could possibly play him. That he's a good enough athlete that you could play him another position. That's that's at least going to be something somewhat comforting is knowing that if there were, you know, you consider a catastrophic injury to the number one overall pick, that that all is not lost, that this guy does have some opportunities. What, what scares me when I heard about him as a two-way player, is it, Tim, is the, the name that immediately came to mind was John Van benscoden <laughs> who, who was that at Kent State, and the Pirates drafted him and tried to make him a relief pitcher. And that was, you know, with disastrous results. And so, you know, I, I, that was the first thing I heard. I was like, oh, no, not another John Van Benscoden
0: Kevin Gorman with us. I believe the quote was from Jay Johnson, I'm 1,000% convinced that he could win a Major League Baseball game today. Um, I don't think the Pirates are thinking that way with him, at least not this year. I don't really believe that Ben Charrington has a Pittsburgh debut in mind for him. What do you think? I mean, the re-ramping back up again, you just went through all the numbers and Comparisons to Mitch Keller and whatnot. So, what does that mean for him? Does that mean throwing in Bradenton? Is it just getting loose? Is he going to face real competition again? Arizona Fall League. What are we talking about?
2: Yeah, I, I well, the Pirates have assigned all of their draft picks to the Florida Complex League, which has played. You know, the, so these guys will go to Pirate City in Bradenton and work with their minor league instructors so that's basically just a a chance to get to know the guys see what they have see where they are physically and, and and kind of assess all of those things i would imagine that he will play a couple games in the florida complex league uh which just to give people an idea those scores are typically like 25 to 21 you know these are these are not like you know professional baseball games these are basically guys that are getting acclimated to playing professional baseball some of them are coming from the dominican league some of them are coming straight from high school or college so the games tend to be a bit sloppy and a little bit wild um but i would imagine that the pirates will try to assign him after that to either uh, you know class low low a bradenton or high a greensboro and see how he fares there. That, that's what they did with Henry Davis. I think he played eight games in Greensboro before he had an oblique injury, and so then he was shut down for the rest of the season, mostly out of caution. They just were looked at. It was like, hey, you've already played a full season. We, we want to have you healthy. Um, but I had uh, Dado Dowd from the MLB Network told me that, you know, that scouts, draft analysts, scouts view. The SEC caliber baseball, which is the best in the country, is similar to Class A baseball. Uh, So I would imagine that the Pirates would like to see Skeen's pitch against like high A competition and maybe even this year, double A competition, just to see how he does. I would think that if he was capable of dominating in the Florida Complex League or say Greensboro, that they would get him up to double A just to see how he fares. But I would also think that's probably as, as, as fast as he's going to develop this year. And I would imagine they're going to want to see him play uh, pitch, you know, somewhat close to a full season in the minors before they bring him up to the majors. That could be accelerated because of his ability. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who was touching 102, uh, you know, has a, has a high spin slider and has talked about the development of other pitches. I think for the long-term success of Paul Skeens, the Pirates are going to want to see a guy who has more than two to three pitches in his repertoire. They're going to want to see a guy who has developed, you know, a curveball, a changeup, and you know, pitches that can go inside and away from batters. And, and so, and, and that's why you're seeing Mitch Keller go from a guy who was getting batted around as a rookie, who could, you know, could come in and throw 100 miles an hour. Uh, and had a pretty wicked curveball, but just didn't have the changeup, didn't have the other pitches developed. And and the hitters, you know, they'll they'll figure that out real quick because they can hit the 100 miles an hour for one, which maybe the college guys can't. The major league guys can hit it. They see it. Um, But so I would imagine from just the way Ben Charrington has talked that there is very much pitch development is going to be part of Paul Skeen's immediate future is trying to get out the pitches that he believes that are in there that he's, he's talked about, that he has several other pitches that he didn't, really need to use in the SEC because he could dominate everybody with his fastball slider combo. But they're, they're, here's my warning. The people that want to see Paul Skeens based on what he did in college, take into consideration how Luis Ortiz came up last year and was throwing, you know, his first, in his major league debut, I think he touched 99 or he averaged 99 miles an hour on like something like 55 fastballs and uh, and was touching, you know, over a hundred I think he touched triple digits six times in his debut. And he was basically a fastball slider guy. And, you know, they worked on the, in this offseason to help him develop a changeup so that he had more pitches to his repertoire. But um, you know, all of a sudden you see the guys that are hitting, you know, he's not striking people out anymore and, and he's become very hittable. And and that's not just in the majors. He's getting hit in the minors right now too. So I, I think that's the concern is that okay, the guy has stuff. Does he know how to use it? And does he know how to use it when other teams are hitting him? which which is something he hasn't really dealt with a whole lot, especially at LSU this year. I mean, it was, he was just absolutely dominant. So it's not to say that Skeens couldn't come up and win a game. The, the question is, can he win a game every five days? Can he put yourself, Can he put your team in that position every five days? Because he's used to pitching on a seven-day basis every Friday night for LSU, and he's also uh, used to being able to dominate guys with two pitches, and it's going to require a lot more than that to be successful in the majors.
0: What's going on with Cabrian Hayes?
2: Well, the the issue with Key Brian Hayes is he he has a low back. The low back inflammation is caused by his hips, and, and what he basically described to me was a hip issue where the hips kind of come out of alignment, and and the weight isn't being distributed evenly. And, and it's almost a sixty forty. It's not quite that. It's more like fifty eight forty one. But we're talking about one hip is is you know one side of his body is. Dealing with more of the the absorbing the weight than the other side, and that's causing pain that shoots up the middle of his back and on the on the left side of him, which is affecting him at the plate. And so it's not really affecting him in the field a whole lot. You know that's why you've seen him play excellent defensive baseball as usual at third base. But when he's at the plate, he's 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 feeling. You know and I think it's really coming down to a matter like Brian Reynolds. Uh, when you're dealing with oblique injuries or you're dealing with low back pain, which they both are dealing with something along the same lines, even though they're different injuries, um, you know, it's affecting them at the plate and it's affecting them when they swing the bat because they're, you know, especially on the right-hand side for, for Hayes uh, as a righty hitter. So that's, it's affecting his left side. Um, but that's it's, it's become a, a pain threshold thing for him. And, and he's working to, you know, work on, um, you know, stability, you know, core, core stability, um, and, and mobility and, and trying to get his range of motion back and, and it's really just you know the guy was out there i, I talked to him on wednesday morning he he went out and worked out and was doing you know sprinting work he was doing field work uh, you know fielding grounders and he was taking batting practice in the cage i mean he was completely uh you know saturated in perspiration this is this is a guy who who was working hard to get back um but it's just a matter of he does those type of works at workouts. And then it's a matter of how his back responds the next day. And so I think he's getting closer to returning, but because he's been down for essentially two, 10, ten days stints on the injured list, uh, that, that 20 days down is going to require probably a rehab assignment. So we're probably not going to see him until I would imagine close to August.
0: Kevin Gorman with list covers the Pirates of the Trib. Last question, Kevin, I know we'll talk again before the deadline, but does anybody move this week? Do you think the Pirates try to get ahead on anything?
2: Well, you know, last year they traded Daniel Vogelback uh, on July 22nd. And so I, I think it's more a matter of the other teams trying to get ahead of others. If somebody has identified someone that they really want, um, I would think that, that, you know, that might be preferable for them to try to say hey we, you know, here's what we're willing to offer you i think it's in the pirates interest to let it come down to as close to the trade deadline as possible to see who can give you the best deal uh so it, it, it that that would be you know in terms of the importance for the pirates the, the way they would do it i'm interested to see um i would think the teams would want guys like rich hill uh and carlos santana you know two veteran guys on, on one year contracts who have postseason experience and have, uh, you know, great leadership value to the clubhouse, that they're both good guys that are they're going to be willing to mentor and, and help younger, you know, younger pitchers or younger hitters in that regard, uh, that they both have some versatility, that, you know, Hill's a guy who's a starter but could go to the bullpen. He has experience there. Santana's a guy who can play first base or be a designated hitter. Uh, so, you know, th- those are two guys that I think, that I, I imagine are going to be traded. And then, um, you know, which which could open up, you know, playing time for somebody like Jared Triolo when Hayes returns that Triolo can maybe play some first base or some shortstop um so so there's a roster spot for him uh the interesting ones will be will be for me that I know that scouts were in town looking at these guys whether the pirates are willing to part with either one of their all-star pitchers that that scouts obviously you know, there's going to be a market for David Bednar, uh, but there's also going to be a market for Mitch Keller. He's going into his second year of arbitration. The Pirates have not yet worked out a long-term deal with Keller, and I would imagine his price tag has gone up considerably, You uh, maybe even doubled since uh, the start of the season because of this first-half first, per- first half performance. And so it'll be interesting to see if somebody's going to, you know, pay a, a steep price for those guys. Uh, the problem is, you know, you, you would hope that the Pirates would have plans to pair Paul Skeens with Mitch Keller at the top of the rotation and not necessarily put the pressure on him to have to replace Keller. Um, so, uh, but, but that'll be the interesting part for me is, is following those guys. I would imagine G-Man Choi is another one that, that could, that somebody, you know, that could be interested in him. And then the other part of it is the Pirates have, you know, a lot of middle infield prospects and uh, you know, maybe they're willing to part with somebody. Maybe they're giving some of these guys a chance to play before the deadline to see if other teams are interested in maybe packaging you know uh some players and and they could include a prospect and get something in return because the trade deadline isn't always about just giving up guys sometimes it's about who you're getting in return when you think about some of the players the pirates have gotten back at the trade deadline last year it was colin holderman uh johan oviedo the year before they got uh jack sawinski and tuccapita marcano you know and, and so and even uh when they traded richard rodriguez they got uh Bryce Wilson, who'd started some games for them. So, you know, the Pirates can sometimes give guys back that can be real, you know, contributors for them, even if they're not necessarily what you're getting in return, what you gave up if you gave up an all-star type of guy.
0: Does Bednar want to stay? I mean, I know he loves it here because he's a Pirate and he's from Pittsburgh from that standpoint, but they stink and he never gets to close.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly that would be the, the motivation for why the Pirates, or for why other teams want him and why the Pirates might consider making the trade. Uh, he's great in the community. He loves being involved. I mean, he was the Roberto, Roberto Clemente Award nominee last year. And, and you know, he's great. If, if you ever ever seen, he's great with kids. You know, lo- loves, this is a kid living his dream, playing for the Pirates and, and being an all-star and, you know, having his own bobblehead next week and everything. And this is, it's, it's all, it's all pinch-me moments for David Bednar. Sure, I'm, sh- I'm sure he would love to pitch for a contender, uh, I'm sure that he would probably be open to, um, you know, somebody who would be willing to pay him big money because he's, he's pitching, uh, you know, delivering big money performances and he's getting paid probably close to the major league minimum. I think he's making like 750,000 or something like that this year. And so, you know, this is a guy who goes into arbitration next year for the first time. And so he's going to be getting paid. It's just a matter of whether the Pirates want David Bednar to be their closer of the future and are willing to maybe, you know, sign him to a long-term deal. I I think that's one that would be kind of a no-brainer, especially because he'd probably be willing to give them a hometown discount.
0: Kevin Gorman joins us once a week here at Breakfast with Ben's. Kevin, enjoy the Shohei show tonight.
2: Yeah, same to you, Tim. Thanks for having me. This is
0: Trib Live. Okay, round two. Name something that's not
1: boring.
2: laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?